Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. We're also going to talk some about the odds of the games coming up and what USC did against the spread in the Utah game. Of course, the Notre Dame game coming up this weekend with Joe Duffy a little bit later on in the show. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com or you can call or text, leave a voicemail or send us a text at 424-254-9141. You can find the show on iTunes, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast or any of the podcasting apps like Google Play, Stitcher Radio, uh, TuneIn Radio, Audio Boom. We're all over the place. If you can't find anything, if you can't find us, let me know. I'll make sure we get listed on your favorite podcasting app. And please leave us positive feedback, five-star rating, all that stuff really helps. To grow the show, we are in our 10th season covering the Trojan football team here on the Peristyle Podcast, and we are lucky to have Dan Weber joining us and getting ready to answer a bunch of your questions. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I do have a question, though. Yeah. Is there a question about USC against the spread? <laughs> you mentioned that we would we, that later on you would delve into USC against the spread. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, is that still an issue? <laughs> Take the spread. <laughs> Take whatever. Well, okay, so USC is one and six against the spread. Only cover came against Stanford. So, like, yeah, they were favored against, you know, 12 and a half or 13 over Utah and obviously didn't cover winning by one. But this weekend, this is what I'm curious to talk to Joe about. USC is actually an underdog. This will be the first time. Yeah, I don't know. How does that work in terms of uh, beating the spread if you're the underdog? Uh, you know, if you win, obviously you do, but uh, that'd be interesting. Uh, I would probably take a uh, a one-point uh, uh, win at Notre Dame and, and call that a win uh, no matter what, yeah. uh, how you look at it. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is interesting. Uh, I will say this. I was just thinking about this. Notre Dame better watch out because this is the first time – since 2011, I guess it is, that USC goes into South Bend without an interim football coach, with an actual guy who started the season is the head football coach, is still coaching by the time they get to South Bend. The last two times, the guy who coached USC in South Bend wasn't coaching when the season started. That's very interesting. Um, I didn't even realize yeah. that. It's also the first time since like 2009 both teams have been ranked, I believe, but not yeah. having an interim now, head that coach. I did, but yeah, I hadn't thought about this, but uh, 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 Ed Orgeron was coaching in 13, and and uh, Clay, then a, just an interim coach, was coaching in 15. So here's this greatest intersectional game in the history of college football with two of the top five programs in the history of college football had one of the programs coming in having just fired their coach. Uh, it's just kind of amazing when you think about it. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, before we jump in, just wanted to thank our sponsor. Doing a great job with us. Trader Joe's. Uh, I just had one of their uh, carrot cake muffins this morning for breakfast. Actually, I ate the whole thing. My wife was a little mad. She wants me to eat half, but they're too good. And they got the cream cheese icing on top. So I uh, love those things. Um, Trader Joe's, it's their 50th anniversary uh, this year. So pretty cool stuff. They've been uh, helping us out for the last several months. And uh, certainly, if you're any Trader Joe's in your neighborhood, go check them out. We got a brand new one in Hermosa Beach that I go to all the time. Of course, the new one over at USC, uh, we had an event there in August that was awesome. So if you want to do any kind of tailgating for some of the upcoming USC home games, a great place to do is just stop over at the USC Village, jump into Trader Joe's, and they'll help you out. But it's not just tailgating stuff. Like, they got lots of beer and wine and cheese and stuff you would like for your tailgate, but there's the staples too, like eggs, milk, butter, bread, uh, things like that. But great stuff over at Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us. They're they're consumers of the Peristyle podcast and also sponsors. So, uh, shout out to all the Trader Joe's folks that are out there listening. They were, they had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with them over at that event in August. Well, you were talking about, uh, games coming up. There are only two home games left, only two chances to, to do that at, uh, at Trader Joe's at the University Village. So, where's the season gone? Four of the home games are, are already gone. Just, uh, Arizona and UCLA. Three on the road, and yet I don't think we still have any idea where this USC team is going. <laughs> yeah, the identity Isn't that is amazing? it is pretty amazing. Seven games in, you're like, oh, you'll know a lot more after Stanford. Nope, we didn't. We thought we knew more, but we didn't. Do we know more now after the second half of the Utah game? Uh, I'm not really sure. But you we, know what? We know more. I watched the Cal Washington State game, and we know more how bad that trip to Poland was. Yeah. We knew it was bad at the time. Now we really know how bad that trip was. Yeah. Well, okay, so we were getting, we did Harvey Hyde on the show yesterday, and we got some questions that came in during the first half of the game that people were upset. One guy call in. You know, Those weren't questions. They were rants, yeah. We're, that's uh, Rant of Troy. They do the rant line. We just, we, we're taking questions. But um, we did get some rants, and someone called in, and they called back like apologizing, like basically bench Sam and stuff. Um, right. So we have a couple, I want to, I'm going to play you back to back. I think on these, um, couple Sam Darnold voicemails. We'll start off with these. So here's the first one. Hey Ryan, this is Mondel. Hey, I'm just watching the game. I know what's wrong with, uh, Sam. He sucks. No good. <laughs> we are new quarterback. Stop babying him. The defense, offense, they ain't doing nothing. We need to get that. We need to coach everybody that he hired out of there. They can't stop nothing. They can't stop air. Everybody out. You keep saying, you keep saying, there's something wrong with Donald. There's nothing wrong with him. He sucks. I'm sick of that. And I had to cut the last part off because there were some <laughs> words not suitable for the podcast. And then uh, here I'll play one. So he was obviously not happy. Let me play one more. Hi, guys. This is uh, Don from the East Coast. Uh, this message is for uh, Dan Weber. Um, what I'm seeing is that Sam is given pretty much like the freedom to kind of do what he wants when he wants. And that's not a good thing because 
if he was playing with any other coach, would Nick Saban be okay with him turning the ball over like this? Would Nick Saban just let him just – would Urban Meyer allow this stuff? They wouldn't. He would get reamed out. He would get screamed out. And also with Iman Marshall constantly having penalties. If he was with any of those top coaches, he would have been benched games ago because, you know, you can't continue to do these things and have this problem. I just – it's just frustrating to kind of see these continued problems and they're not getting fixed. But, you know, love, you know, I love the podcast. You guys do a great job. And um, thanks. Take care. Bye. Well, uh, here's the here's the thing with 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 Sam and the, the turnovers. They were correct in figuring out they had to do something about the uh, the uh, front four of Utah, and they figured that. And we've said this all along, and people have all you know agreed that uh, Sam needs to probably carry the ball more, and become more of a threat in their offense. The problem has been they haven't been able to practice it for whatever reason. You know, we can decide what it is that's been going on for probably at least the last month that Sam has not gotten much explosiveness, that his mechanics throwing the ball, especially on the run, seem to be off, that he doesn't look like or hasn't looked like the guy from last year. So they decide to add a wrinkle. They're going to add, he's going to keep the ball on the read option, and he's also going to pitch it. Problem is, you really have to work on that a lot. And and one of the things that happen, and it's easy to blame Sam, but one of the things that has to happen is your running back, if you're going to pitch it, has to be aligned perfectly. Or even if you're going to throw that little flat, you know, pass into the flat, your running back has has to get, Perfect, you know, coordination with the uh, quarterback. Now, obviously, the quarterback's always going to get the blame. But I think there was a case that Sam was, you know, trying to do what was good for the team and what they wanted him to do, but they weren't really prepared to do it at the level, you know, that you have to be prepared to do it against a pretty good defense like Utah. I mean, I think if you overall you look at it, Utah was, was one of the you know, better defensive teams in the country and a ranked team. And they were allowing 314 yards a game. And USC got 532 yards. So even if you made the phone call in the first half, you gotta, you know, you gotta cut them some slack. I mean, they did have like 260 yards of offense in the first half. They only had seven points. But there was, there were other things going on than just that, you know, Sam isn't, isn't getting the job done. I think they're asking him, they were asking him to do a lot. He's clearly uh, got his explosiveness almost all the way back. His ability to throw just on the touchdown pass, the 17-yard touchdown pass to Tyler Petit, where he scrambled and then just drilled the ball instantaneously through two defenders into the end zone where the window was open for like a nanosecond, tells you he's getting back to where he uh, has been and where he had to be. But... uh, uh, yeah, to, you just can't focus on Sam, and it's easy because he gets all the attention and he gets all the praise. But uh, but that's not how football works. And the second half when, again, they let Sam be Sam, uh, shows you uh, where he is right now. And, 
is the hope for the rest of the season is with that guy who was playing quarterback for USC in that second half. I mean, that, that was about as, as, as well as you can play it. And, uh, if that's the model going forward, uh, they're in pretty, uh, they've got a chance at least. And, uh, and give Sam credit for he's played through stuff and, uh, hasn't dropped his, you know, head and said, oh, my gosh, or felt sorry for himself. He just goes out there and plays. And uh, you got to love that. You really do. The, the uh, turnovers, obviously a problem. USC, I think, fourth or fifth worst in the nation as far as number of turnovers go. Um, and the teams below them are all, I guess you could say, terrible. So to be a 6-1 team to be, you know, near leading the nation and turning the ball over, obviously concerns. We had two questions. One, Neil Manila, can Sam Darnold go through the ball security drills that running backs do? Thanks and fight on. And then Aaron said, Sam Darnold had some fumble problems last year, and the problem seems to have surfaced again over the last couple of games. Has anyone ever suggested he try a glove or maybe wristbands if the problem is related to sweat? Any other ideas how they may help be able to correct it, especially if it's just carelessness? Aaron. See, I don't think it was any of those. Uh, on the On the handoff fumble... It was a, a case of reading the play, and you, he, they haven't run that play enough and haven't had Sam. You know, as a former coach, I, I know how hard it was to get a kid to just run the option as a play. You've got to run it as a significant part of your offense, and that means the whole part of the option, which means uh, the fake, the ball fake, if it's going to be, the reading the defensive end, for example, uh, uh, then, you know, keeping the ball. And then, uh, on the pitch, you've got to do the same thing. And so on that play, I think Sam extends the ball to Rojo, sees the read is there for him to keep it, tries to get it back. Rojo's already got it. So that's something you have to work on. That's not, uh, you know, ball security drills with the running backs or anything. That's just a matter of not having done that enough in practice and games and getting that quick read in the middle of a game and realizing, oh, if I keep it, I can go. But Rojo already kind of had it. On the second pitch, on the pitch, I don't think Rojo is in perfect alignment for where Sam needed him to be on that pitch. And you're getting pressure probably a little bit different than Sam thought it was going was gonna to get to him. Again, that's not having from not having done it enough. And then on the on the swing pass, Rojo is obviously not supposed to be behind Sam. He's supposed to be slightly upfield so that it's not a lateral, so the ball is not alive. So if the ball gets loose, it's um, it, it, you know it's an incomplete pass. So you could make the case that in none of those was it strictly Sam. You know, till this point, obviously with the interceptions and and what have you, you know, it's a combination of things and probably more on Sam than anything in terms of some of the throws. And he certainly doesn't have his total accuracy back yet. But uh, didn't throw any interceptions. That's, uh, you know, that's certainly, uh, you know, a plus. And uh, I think you could make a case that none of those ball security issues were, were completely on Sam. And again, he was in a situation where on two of those three, he was doing something that we haven't seen him do in, in practice or in a game uh, all year. 
and uh, that's awfully hard to do to pick up on the fly against a, a good defense like Utah. And with all that, you know, they still they ended up wearing Utah down. They ran 83 plays. By the end of the game, Utah was just completely gassed. A good defense just was, you know, was on its heels. Had given up, ended up giving up 218 more yards than they averaged given up. So I'm looking at it, you know, this is, as far as I'm concerned, you know, a glass half full situation and a learning situation. Uh, they probably, as, as good an idea as it was to A, have Sam keep the ball and run it and B, have, uh, have him maybe even pitch it on the option. You can't do it if you really don't, if you haven't done it enough. If it's not just second nature to read that in. Uh, and know exactly where your relationship uh, has to be with the running back and all of that. And, uh, you know, those were, those were some tough lessons, but uh, they survived somehow. Had they not survived, we would not probably be looking at that so charitably, obviously. Right. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, survived in advance. This was one. have a pass a little bit. Yeah. This was one that I said, you know, Notre Dame and, U- and, and Utah, those two games – Looking, you know, heading into last weekend, I was like, if you, if USC wins, doesn't matter if it's ugly, doesn't, whatever, that's, that's all that matters in these ones. You can pick apart Oregon State because they were awful, but beating Utah, beating Notre Dame, if you just win those games, I don't think there's, there's really cause for alarm. Now, it's weird not, you know, playing as bad as you could possibly play almost in the first half and then playing way better in the second, but this is one of those things, Dan, where it's like, I think fans should just take this one and be like, that was a big game. That was a big game in the South. It's important. If you win ugly against Utah, you win. Well, and his, you know, for example, the one play that he made, third and ten, he hadn't, uh, they've got, they're on the seven yard line. He hadn't gotten any breaks with the first couple of play calls. And he, you know, he pulls the ball down and he scrambles for 14 yards, keeps the drive alive. The first, you know, their first, uh, uh, conversion situation. And it keeps a 98-yard scoring drive alive with a 14-yard scramble. Perfect. I mean, he pulls it down perfectly at the perfect time. He he uh, beats the linebacker. He gets down uh, after he's gotten, you know, the 14 yards for the first. And uh, they're off to the races. I mean, that's the play. If you're going to remember a play from that game, that's the play to remember. That's the, that's the game winner right there. Uh, and that's Sam. And we haven't seen that. We have not seen that explosive scramble when it's there for the first down. And with that, I'm not sure they need to run as much often, but I'll tell you this. Notre Dame's defensive preparations this week became a lot more difficult after Saturday because now they got to say, hey, this guy might keep the ball, and he's not bad. And if they don't pitch it, you know, away – Ronald Jones might end up with it. And if they figure out how to do it right, uh, that's a problem. So now Notre Dame's defensive game plan is significantly more, uh, you know, complex for them. Now they've had a, they get two weeks to get ready for this game and they've been getting ready for USC. Well, you know, I, I was reading that they maybe only practiced a couple of times last week. Uh, but their coaches, and thinking about what they're going to do and what they've probably done in the first couple of practices did not include Sam the scrambler or Sam the option quarterback. Uh, so now they got to go back to the drawing board a little bit 
And for me, I, I think that's a really good thing. I know there are people who say, oh, that's, you know, it'd be good to hide it and spring it on them. Well, they, they hit it and they sprung it on Utah. <laughs> and that's probably not the way to do it. I think the way to do it is to do it. Do it really well and make them prepare for it. And uh, now Notre Dame has to. Yeah. I mean, they really surprised Utah by giving them the ball three times like that. You know, yeah. They, uh. <laughs> yeah, it surprised Ronald that ball was lying there. All Ronald has to do is fall on it. Yeah. And uh, and I know they say, well, we, we coach them in a, if it's in that gray area. you got to – I think it's one. that's one of those plays where you can tell them, but you got to – when you talk about coaching them, they just have to do it. Yeah. They have to do it enough under pressure – full speed in practice so that it becomes second nature. And uh, that, that probably wasn't the case. We got one more on Sam. I think there's the last one. Bear Secutor. Well, it's kind of, it's more on the coaches than Sam. Now he put the quotes around this. I don't think this is an actual quote from Sam Darnold, but maybe I missed it. He said, my receivers aren't especially fast, tall, or big. My throws have to be perfect for them to catch it. My opponents are blitzing me all the time and stacking the box to take away the run. The play calls are the same as the last game. And last season, and oh, the coaches won't let me run or audible. Uh, is it any wonder Sam is struggling since the Stanford game? The only team to have arrogance, stupidity to defend USC straight up. Uh, USC's offensive travails are not fundamentally a question of chemistry injuries or communication. Sam had plenty of chemistry the first time he stepped on the field with the receivers last year. A healthy USC offense struggled even against Western Michigan in the first half, uh, this season. It's the players and play calling since you can't change the former you have to change the latter yet when i see tyson mutter it's all about the way the ball bounces is it any surprise sam panicked last week and went beyond taking chances to make desperate decisions slash throws bear secuter well you know here's one thing that was different and it does uh, you talked about the wide receivers fairly early uh bear uh and clay pointed this out last night and I, you you, you kind of taken it for granted over the years, but it hasn't been there this year. The one big difference uh, in the Utah game was the receivers made what Clay, and I think it's a great term, uh, the catch-bang play, uh, where you catch the ball and you get drilled absolutely immediately. Often you're still in the air, and you, uh, Michael Pittman made one, Stephen uh, Mitchell made one. Uh, uh, Deontay made at least one. Uh, Tyler Vaughn's made one. And Ronald Jones made one. All or five. Much of this year, you maybe wouldn't have seen the catch made. And that was a big part of those three, that 98-yard, that 93-yard, uh, the 88-yard drive. You have to make those plays to keep those drives going. And for the first time this year, we saw multiple wide receivers, multiple receivers make those plays. You saw, you know, the tight ends, three touchdown passes. You saw, uh, you know, as we said, Ronald. Uh, that's something Sam hasn't had yet this year. So, you know, you can say, you know, the wide receivers or the receivers in general weren't up to snuff. They were against Utah. And that's, again, something – USC fans have been used to, and Sam's been used to, and um, and Saturday we saw that. So, so I think there's some of that. You're right about the offense 
if you, if you go back two weeks and you run, if you went, ran the uh, Washington State film next to the uh, uh, the Utah film, I mean, it's just, is that the same team? Could that possibly be the same team? I mean, that, that was the, uh, the nadir, if you will, of, of the USC offensive effort for this year. That was just two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, they didn't complete a single pass to a tight end or a running back. So you saw a much more varied offense. You saw a much more active, much healthier looking. And we're, we're never going to know what that exactly is when we're talking about Sam. But that Sam looked like the Sam of last year. He's still not got the same accuracy on the run, probably. Uh, but uh, he's getting there. And, uh, and so I think they probably put too much on him because they really wanted to be able to figure out how to handle that defensive end uh, from, uh, from Utah and give him problems. Unfortunately, they gave Sam some problems in doing that. But, uh, and that was the easy focus the first half. But, uh, but the rest of the guys stepped up. I mean, here's Ronald Jones, another 100-yard you know, game and a 13-straight game he scores, and he's still not 100%. He's still playing on a, on a gimpy ankle that he was in getting treatment on, you know, on Sunday. But, uh, but the guy stepped up. That's, I mean, 532 yards against Utah. That's a pretty good effort, you know. So it, it had to be a good effort to overcome, uh, the, you know, the three turnovers in the first half. But, uh, but at least that was, that was, it wasn't in state game. It didn't look like they even tried in terms of, that's what can we do against this team? And, you know, then you have to sit back and watch Cal just throttle Washington State and you say, oh, maybe that's what we should have done. Maybe that's what, you know, if you're USC, you're sitting there thinking, gosh, I wonder if we'd have tried to take them out of the game. Maybe we'd been okay. But, uh, at least they tried, tried stuff, uh, against Utah, tried too much, but, uh, I'll take trying. Let's uh, let's go Mark and Crown City, which is Pasadena, if you don't know. What's the likelihood Coach Helton, now he doesn't say which one, so maybe you, you'll let you fill that in, took over the play-calling responsibilities for the second half of the Utah game, or at least gave specific instructions to T and Tyson. Okay, so he was talking about Clay Helton. T and Tyson on expectations during halftime. The Trojans appeared to be a different team with both tempo and consistency after a poorly constructed and executed First half, fight on, Mark and Crown City, and I like that that he says poorly constructed. It's uh, people are like, oh, the execution was bad. Yeah, sometimes it's just a bad plan, and I, I think that was poorly constructed is a good way to put it. But that's Mark. Yeah, and you won't get them to quite admit, you know, it was so different because you know they hit 262 yards of offense in the first half. You know, three turnovers, only seven points, but they will tell you that. What they were trying to do the first half was kind of working. Just, you know, they were shooting themselves in the foot. And once you shot yourself in the foot three times, you run out, you run out of feet, you know. So then they had to start over again the second half. And, uh, and they, you know, th- those three drives, a 98, a 93, and an 88 yard drive against Utah. I mean, that's just unheard of. Uh, that's really good football. So, uh, I think, just eliminating the mistakes, you know, saying, okay, Sam, if, if we're going to run you, uh, scramble, you know, pick, pick your moment, pick your, you know, 
Clay always talks about on the punt return, he wants his guy to pick his pitch. I think I'd like the quarterback to be able to pick his pitch exactly right and know exactly. See, I think a lot of what's been happening is Sam didn't feel like he could pull the ball down and take off with it. For whatever reason, he wasn't doing that this year. So that meant he was forcing more throws, and they weren't getting the scramble. Take the scramble play away from USC Saturday, they lose. If, if Sam doesn't do that 14-yard uh, first down drive, you know, sustaining uh, scramble, that game, they don't win. So uh, they need all those components, and I think they were trying hard to get him, uh, you know, into the game as a, as a running threat, and they added something that, probably they just weren't up to speed enough on in terms of doing it was the right idea it just wasn't they didn't have the ability to execute it i don't think at that time but uh but uh so i don't know that it was a whole different play calling and all that i think they eliminated the mistakes of the first half so that's i think more more than anything they eliminated the mistakes the uh Speaking of mistakes, Tarek wanted to know, why are Kyle Whittingham's teams always disciplined while USC has lacked discipline for years? You know, you coach a certain way. I mean, you you do certain – some people just say, we're going to do this. This is who we are. If you can beat us, fine, good for you. We're just not going to do a lot of things. I think USC tries to do a lot of things. I mean, USC, when they they say bounds on offense, for example – they say we're gonna we're gonna be able to you know pass it as as, as well as we run it, and uh, and maybe that uh, in, in a lot of ways that means we're gonna we're not gonna necessarily just be one thing on offense. Now uh, Utah's trying to do more on offense now, and trying to play you know more wide open, and a new offensive coordinator because I think Utah decided that can do you. A lot of good, but it can't quite get you there. Now, I think they've kind of abandoned that. We're this is exactly who we are, uh, and we're going to be really good at what we do. But it's going to be kind of limited because maybe we're never going to have quite the same talent. Maybe we'll never get quite the same, you know, all-American quarterback and what have you. But um, you know, we didn't. We did not see their transfer, Tyler Huntley, who they are. You know, know has some some real skills and what have you. Uh, but Troy Williams was good enough last year and played his best game against USC last year. They look, you know, they look awfully good and still got, a, you know, some breaks from USC last year. And if you look at the turnaround in the second half, and USC, you know, they don't give up that last drive, which, again, they kind of reverted the form once they got the, uh, once they got the lead. Uh, and, and then you wondered, are they playing again not to lose? But they were 21-0 against Utah in the second half at that point. And, uh, and they can do more things than Utah. And so you're probably going to have more mistakes. Uh, but, uh, you know, you take, you know, you, 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 ta- you pay your money and take your, ch- you know, your chance. And, and Kyle Winningham has decided this is who we are. And he does a great job. I'll say this, you know, he's got a great special teams and that doesn't always work. I mean, they got no, they had a great punt return game coming in there. They got zipped. They had a great field goal kicker, best in the nation, 15 out of 16. And he misses, what, 
21 yarder or what, whatever the heck that was thing was from, uh, like, you know, sometimes you can have all the best plans and all the, the best, you know, trends and you come in and something doesn't happen. It doesn't, it just goes wrong. I mean, just that one field goal. That guy doesn't miss that field goal. Life is much more difficult for USC. I mean, the good news, maybe they would have had to make the stop on the last drive and maybe they would instead of playing it the way they did. But, uh, but yeah, I think it, it, it's been a smart thing for Kyle Whittingham to do what he's done. I'm not sure though that ever gets him into the championship game. Uh, so, you know, USC tries to do more, doesn't always do it well. But, uh, but with better athletes, you have a chance. Let's go. Uh, Tark with a Q. He said, outside of the turnovers from Darnold, I was impressed with the USC team that showed up against Utah. The play calling was solid. That's an interesting take. I don't think a lot of people agree with that. Uh, defense played well and even special teams showed improvement other than the one punt that he says VJ, but I think he means that Jenny Harris should have caught. There's actually two. I think he should have caught. Uh, in the, in your opinion, did you see the team make strides in the right direction week over week? Absolutely. I mean, you put up 532 yards of offense on Utah. That's terrific. I mean, that's, uh, you know, again, that's 218 yards more than Utah is giving up on average. And, you know, okay, they're not playing the USC every week, but 532 yards on Utah, that's great. I mean, that's really special. I mean, they had a diversity of receivers, uh, you know, tried to get Daniel Matra baby back. That didn't quite happen, but still, Three touchdown passes to the tight end. That's way better. That's just, um, and the plays that the wide receivers made and Rojo made and Vavai Mal- Malapai, uh, just, you know, he had his career long run. I just think you saw some good things. You saw an offensive line that playing against the biggest defensive line and one of the more sound defensive lines they're going to play against. You saw them finally start to do more. Now, Clay, I think, said, oh, I think it was more they're wearing down, softening, and what have you, but it looked more like they were running more the quick hitter stuff, and where they where that gives you the advantage if you're the quick attacking offensive line, where you don't run the slow developing zone read as much, and you run quick stuff, uh, which gets Rojo through the hole, uh, maybe before they've they've gotten completely out of their stances and you can engage them first and, and, and have some gap control. And, uh, I, I think there was a lot of progress made, uh, just a lot of progress and, and just taking Utah's punt return guy out. I mean, that was, that was really good. I mean, to, to get, get them zip, nothing on punt returns, you know, now if USC could, could stop letting the ball roll, um, you know, then they could have at least at the worst a standoff. I mean, they're going to have to probably figure something out. And, and do you put Tyler Vaughn's or Deontay Burnett back and just say, catch everything, fair catch everything, don't let it bounce. You know, teams are obviously trying to, to, to really, uh, exploit that rugby style stuff and kick away from the lone safety and then watch it bounce and, and they just, you know, feel like he's not probably going to get to it. Uh, USC, it seems like has been lining up fairly deep, maybe excessively deep as it, it would seem. And, uh, putting a lot of pressure on, on, uh, Ajene to have to come up and catch the ball 
running against the uh, the cover guys coming the other way. And that's a really because now you're trying to gauge where the ball's coming down, and you're also trying to gauge where those cover guys are, and you're doing it on the fly. I mean, that's that's a hard. That was hard for a door. That's hard for anybody if you're lined up uh, probably deeper than you need to be. And so hopefully they get that squared away because they're way better off. Just catch it, fair catch it. And if that's if you do that with, say, Deontay and Tyler, that's what you want. You don't want them to get hurt uh, at that point. Uh, so uh, I know Clay keeps saying, we're, tell them to just wait for their pitch. And, if you know, if I'm the coach, I'm giving them the uh, take signal on every one of those punts. Just catch it and stand right there, and we'll be happy that the ball doesn't roll down to the goal line. Yeah, uh, Clay Elton didn't – so, okay, so this is the questions on the conference call. These were coming from Scott Wolf, who, you know, can be a little confrontational <laughs> at times. We'll, we won't go into it, but Scott and I were tweeting a little bit. Um, so he had asked a couple questions. One about the punt return thing and, uh, two was about the play calling. And, and I got, there was very terse answers from, uh, Clay Helton on that. But my indication, like just from maybe he was just, you know, not real happy with the line of questioning, but I don't see any indication from Clay Helton that they, they're changing up who's returning punts. I kind of thought they would in this game and they didn't. And if they didn't have to refumble, they didn't have to, you know, giving the ball up inside the five a couple of times. I just don't think they're going to do it. Well, he did say the one comment, the very last about the punt returns, was he wished they'd made better decisions. So he has been touting uh, Ajeni as a fairly good decision maker, uh, and now he said he wished they'd made better decisions. So I think that got you to the point where um, he wasn't going to agree. I mean, I think... The, the that line of questioning got off to a bad start when the first question is, well, who's really calling the plays? <laughs> and, you know, and it, it, do you think, you know, and he says, you know, T, T. Martin's doing a great job. And, you know, the, and then I think the, the way that, and then maybe it was, then the second part of that question was, well, who's really calling the plays? And he said, T. Martin's doing a wonderful job. He repeated his answer, and it was about six words, and that was always going to get and he wasn't about to to jump on uh, a Jenny after that as well. He, you know, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if they figure something else out. I, I just, I mean, they've had in practice Tyler Vaughn and Deontay, you know, just catching the ball and not necessarily trying to return it. I would, I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if they went that direction at all and just say, just catch it, just catch it, and. Uh, and take no chances. Yeah. But, but we'll see. I mean, that's what I, I think I would, it's amazing that you really, with all the athletes you as he's recruited, all the wide receivers, all the defensive backs, you don't have somebody who's a candidate. Obviously, you're maybe in the history of USC, you're never going to find another Adore Jackson, but just somebody that can catch it and attempt to return it. And, you know, the guys they have, for example, it looked like, Potential decent kickoff returners like Vela Jones and Stephen Carr, for one you know reason or another, just aren't punt return guys that you would put back there. Um, uh, and, and I would have been interested in seeing what would happen with Greg Johnson if he doesn't get hurt and has to get surgery. Uh, he would have been probably my candidate to see what from a freshman what you could do with him. And he's now 
out for the season. So you may have to go to, uh, you know, an alternative plan uh, back there. But they got to get something because everybody sees the film that they're going to play, and they're all going to do kind of the same thing. You know, give it. Uh, you know, when Clay likes that, the baseball analogy. You know, get your pitch, and they're trying to throw. Uh, you know, throw the ball in the dirt and see if they can get USC to swing at it. And uh, yeah, it hasn't happened. So uh, I think I think you got to get somebody who's confident that he can catch it no matter where it is, and uh, and and just you know stay there, don't get hurt. I get the feeling sometimes coaches, not just U.S. I mean, all coaches can be stubborn sometimes when it's like something you get the question asked 50 times, like, hey, why aren't you doing this? And it seems like the fans want you to do that. The media's asking about the, the logical thing seems to be to do this. At some point, sometimes coaches are like doing the opposite because they're stubborn about <laughs> they want to show you. It's like they don't want to admit, yeah. yeah, that was wrong. I'm not saying this is the case and here, I, but you see that sometimes. And I think you're right because I don't think you become – a football coach at a place like USC or, 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 or those kinds of comparable jobs if you're not a little bit stubborn. I mean, you've got to be kind of tough-minded. You can't give in to, you know, this or that, or you can't, you know, run away from what you're trying to do. Uh, so I think stubbornness is almost uh, a necessity in being a, uh, you know, a football coach. But being, you got to be smart. you got to know immediately, okay, that's not working. You gotta, so you gotta have, it's an interesting combination of stubbornness and ability to recognize exactly what's going on. I mean, for example, who's more stubborn than Nick Saban? I don't know. Is there a coach more stubborn? <laughs> How long did it take him to pull out his, uh, veteran quarterback or returning quarterback last year in the USC game? Two series? Yeah. To go with the true freshman? So here's this guy that's the most stubborn coach in the world at the most important position, took two series and said, that's it, I'm, he's out of here, <laughs> I'm going with the freshman. Yeah. So that combination of those things, you know, and it's, it's not exactly definable, and every situation is different, but uh, you got to be both, I think. Yeah. I think Lane was, uh, he was notorious for that kind of stuff, where it's, it's like more of, he wanted to show you how smart he was. So if like the running game was just working perfectly, he knew that's what everyone thinks. You should just run the ball. I'm going to show you I can do something different than what's obvious and uh, just like baffling stuff like that. Uh, we don't want to talk yeah, about that. Well, stuff, I, I still I still remember the the Hawaii game when they were struggling. Uh, in Lane, uh, it might have been Lane's. I don't know. Was it Lane's first game at Hawaii? And uh, I guess they didn't know who the quarterback was. And Cody Kessler is out there. And, calls an audible and they, they're being shut out and sometime in the first half calls an audible throws it like a you know 20 yard touchdown pass runs off after changing the play and lane says don't ever do that again <laughs> he just threw his first touchdown pass their first touchdown pass and he's told don't ever do that again because he changed the coach's play <laughs> uh, you just you know, you, you got to be able to handle both. You yeah. really do. Well, it's, and uh, you got to be happy when your players make plays. I do think that's what Clay he started off with last night, and he was absolutely right. He said, "You know, players win games for you." But that's what happens. You yeah. got to know that if you think it's about you, it's about your players. Yeah, got to put them in the right position. 
Um, we still got a bunch of questions, so we'll try to go through these uh, fairly quickly if we can. I apologize. Just, there's a lot that came in. Eric in Los Angeles, he's uh, Love My Wine and Trojans on the Peristyle. He said, I love the podcast. I appreciate all you and your staff do to make my long daily car commute uh, palatable. After the gut-wrenching game last night, a few questions for Dan Weber. Also, while the game wasn't the defining one, I was hoping to finish the remaining schedule. I think the second half might have given us the light bulb. The, the, the light bulbs went on in a number of places, not just Sam, but the offensive line really pushed Utah around, and the starting three wide receivers are starting to get along uh, with the tight end. Any thoughts there? Thanks for all you do, Eric in L.A. Yeah, I'm thinking, like you said, a defining half game, a defining second <laughs> half. And I, and I don't think that's wrong. I mean, the light bulb you know, analogy, I think you got to – you know, if you're a USC fan, you got to hope that's what it was. And there have been a lot of talk this year about the light bulb going on for this guy and that guy. And one would hope the light bulb went on for all of them, for everybody involved. And uh, I think it, it might have. I think there was enough good that happened in that second half to say, you know, there's the game plan, there's the roadmap, there's the model. Uh, keep it going. Figure out how to get it done in the first half. And, uh, you know, I mean, you got to give them credit. They do wear teams out. I mean, they wore Stanford out. They wore Utah out. These are two of the more physical teams. And at the very end, they kind of wore Texas out, another big physical team. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll see. But that's that's that was the frustration of the Washington State game. They didn't wear anybody out, you know. Uh, you gotta do that. You just gotta take them out. And if that's not good enough, fine. But don't go, you know, having not given it your best shot, which again happened at Washington State. Just go out there and, and, and try to take them out. And I, you know, Clay came by, we were setting up for, uh, instant analysis on the field after the game and Clay's usually the last guy out and he goes out the other direction. And he goes by and he says, okay, what's the scoop? What are you guys going to say about us? And I said, well, first thing I'd say is, why don't you ask the scorekeeper, the clock operator, the scoreboard operator, to start every game with 14 points for the other team. And your guys have to come out and have to figure out how to make up those 14 points right away. Play like you're 14 points behind. And uh, he, he, he laughed. I'm not sure what exactly he was saying, I said, but if you can play the way you guys play when you're, you're behind, you're pretty good. Uh, so for whatever that's, that's worth, if they can figure out how to start these games where they're nothing, nothing, as if they're forced to, you know, they're the second half of the Rose Bowl. You know, that's how I think any team that has Sam Darnold at quarterback and any team that, you know, that, that, has the ability to do some things on defense has to play like they're coming from behind. Yeah. Let's see. We got a couple questions on the secondary, um, two different takes. So first is Troy 75. When it comes to USC secondary, it's like there's an elephant in the room. Nobody wants to talk about both Jack and Iman have very difficult times in coverage. It seems to me, uh, anytime a team is in a hole and needs to, to make 20 yards or more, they just throw deep to one of our DBs and they oblige us by getting a pass interference call. I've lost count how many times this has happened, yet the idea of making a change here seems to be inconceivable. How come? 
Uh, I will go out on a limb and say that one or both of these DBs will get called for PI at least twice during the Notre Dame game. Can someone stop this insanity? It's just me saying things that shouldn't be said since 1953, Troy 75. And then Paul in Santa Clarita has a little bit different take. He said Jack Jones has greatly improved from the player he was in week one, and Iman Marshall has not. Am I off base with this assessment? I'd love your guys' thoughts. So a couple questions on the secondary, Dan. Yeah, I think um, when you talk to Clancy about it, he said he will say, yes, uh, we're putting him in kind of a difficult spot much of the time because we play so much man, although this is a little, you know, clue as to what happened. The, the Utah people said the biggest difference they saw in the second half, and this is from Troy Williams, was that uh, USC went to a lot more zone. And so they felt like they've had to play man. Well, you got to play man if you're going to, you know, really blitz and really try to put pressure on. But uh, when they went to zone, they did have a better second half. And, yeah, you're right. In the Pac-12, probably for anybody going against anybody, uh, you got third and long, you ought to just throw the ball, uh, throw the ball deep and hope that, uh, that, uh, you get the call. Cause you probably will. Uh, cause, you know, they don't, and whether you are or not, uh, a couple of those calls were a little iffy, I thought, but that's the Pac-12 for you. They're gonna do that. Uh, they just don't have officials who are confident enough to, to know what's the, the typical hand, hand-to-hand combat. You know, no no advantage gain, and uh, they're very often out of position. Their mechanics are bad. I mean, uh, the one play, for example, and this is how you know that on the on the the play that got overturned, all three Pac-12 officials thought that was a catch. Not one of them was in position. That happened exactly lined up with me, and. You could tell, because the first thing I usually do, because the body, the guy's body, you know, uh, shielded him from the ball, and I'm looking for where's the official, to, to, for the spot and everything else. And I realized, oh wait, one's 12 yards behind the play, one's 15 yards, uh, you know, away from the play this way, and the other guy's like 18 yards, behind, you know, forward. And he, you know, the first two, clearly have not because they're not in line and they're not sighting the ball they don't know where they don't even where to spot it much less whether they caught it so you can see they're looking at one another they have no clue and finally the third guy comes in from basically right center field and says yeah it looked like a catch to me so it was obviously not a catch they didn't see it they didn't know what to call so they just guessed and this is where this is the difference having covered the SEC in the in the Big Ten. He didn't guess on many plays. Now, as, as, you know, they guess in the Pac-12. They're not in position. They're not confident. And if you're going to run third and long and throw a deep ball and isolate one of the USC DBs, who, you know, maybe their opinion of how good they are uh, is, is more than their actual ability. Uh, to, uh, to make plays. Uh, I know, you know, after the game, Jack Jones told us he thinks he's the best defensive back in college football. Uh, and Biggie is so competitive. He just can't allow someone to get a step on him. He, he just he 
it's it's so difficult for him because he wants to be so good and he wants to make every play, and it's hard at times to keep his hands off. And you know the Pac-12 guys watch film and they're playing the odds and they think, well, no, let's throw that one on USC. Even if the other guy, like with in the Tyler Vaughn's case against Washington State, even if the other guy actually commits the pa- the foul and they don't see it, they're going to call it on USC. So yeah. Um, you know, that's a, yes, he's in a difficult spot here. Maybe, uh, playing a little more zone is the answer, uh, and, and, and mixing things up. And, uh, and if you can get that second half result, if your guys up front, they were impressed with the fact that USC hurried, hurried Troy Williams, got him off his spots with just a four man rush without the need to bring, uh, help there, which meant they didn't have to play man. So, Again, maybe that that second half is a is a real you know guidepost to you know this is this is how we go the rest of the year. We, we had uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so Dave and Glendora and Stephen Poway both want to know about the punt return stuff. So we talked about that. Thanks, guys. But they had secondary questions. Steve was about Randall Grimes redshirting, and Clay Hilton said uh, he was going to play a bunch of special teams too. So I don't think he got in the game offensively against Utah, but they're going to have him be a special teams contributor. So that's, uh, that's the one reason for that. And then Dave wanted to know, um, what about Akasendrick Ware and, and Vavai catching a football? Um, seems like they've never get thrown to coming out of the backfield. Rojo drops one pass and then SC abandons throwing passes to the backs, uh, from that point forward. That's from Dave. What do you think? Yeah, I think they both catch the ball really well. You know, you saw Aka Cedric make the real good 37-yard catch down the field last week. I think we know Vavai can do that. Uh, they just, they haven't been throwing the ball. I mean, they, I think they went into the season thinking having Stephen Carr really solves that problem. Cause I remember, uh, how overjoyed T was that Stephen Carr was coming in, and that was going to change the offense just because of his ability to uh, to catch the football. So I think they know they want their their running backs to catch the ball. Uh, that's a part of the offense you'd like to see refined. That's the thing that I not just killed them at Washington State, not even attempting to throw the ball to the running backs against you know Washington State bringing the house and you let them get away with it and don't punish them by, you know, flipping the ball off. And uh, Yossi's got to be better at immediately taking advantage of stuff like that that somebody's going to give you, take, you know, when they take those kinds of chances. But, uh, but Rojo, I mean, I don't know that it's his hands as much now. His hands are, his hands are significantly better and made that one big cast. I think it's more a case of uh, – of, running the route properly, being in the right place. I think he surprised Sam uh, the other day. He wasn't exactly where he was supposed to be. And that, you know, that's that's a tough thing for a quarterback. And Sam, his fine accuracy hasn't been there this year. And you do not want to give him the uh, – make him find you in a place where you aren't. Or where you're not supposed to be. And so I think that was the, that was the issue Saturday as much as anything. But I think Stephen Carr's return will bring that 
yeah. that back. For sure. But when that return happens, yeah, I don't know. I'd be a little surprised if he can do it this week. But I think that that probably limited maybe some of the other guys uh, in terms of their opportunity to, to get those swing passes and that. And it's there. This offense just hasn't gotten exactly where you want it to be until maybe the second half. You know, this guy, and obviously Stanford. Stanford stood where they where they are, and, and they gave USC a target, and USC targeted them and knew where they were going, and everything was, was, was very uh, settled going into the Stanford game. Whether that, that happens uh, anymore this year, whether Notre Dame says, this is who we are, this is how we're going to defend you, see if you can block us. Don't know. But, yeah. But uh, I would say Notre Dame is more like Stanford uh, than anybody. You know, they're physical, they're tough. And they're going to say, you know, we dare you. And they're going to come out and try to punch USC in the mouth uh, with their run game. And, uh, you know, I like, I kind of like that matchup when USC knows these guys are going to come out and they're going to, they're going to just try to, you know, physical. And yeah. you better be ready. Let's, uh, okay, a couple of quick, let's try to do these real quick, the last few, sorry. Um, Nick and Cypress, do you agree with the uh, two-point conversion call by Coach Whittingham. Yeah, I do. I think, I mean, it was their best chance to win. They could have played not to lose. And I think you can agree with that. I think they lose if they, uh, if the game goes into overtime. I think they felt like they had zero gas left in the tank on all, on defense. Zero. So they couldn't stop Sam. They knew it. There wasn't anything they could do about it. So they rolled the dice. I mean, they had one play and, Let's face it, the play didn't even work uh, that they wanted to run, and they almost scored. I mean, if, if uh, Jenny doesn't react like he does, I think Iman was behind him, and maybe there would have been a collision right at the pylon. But uh, if Iman doesn't come up like that, or if Troy Williams does what, what Sam did with Josh Fallow and, 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 and raises his eyes after he pulls the ball down, and looks up and realizes, wait a minute, somebody stopped covering Darren Carrington 15 yards from where he is now, and here's this six-four guy standing in the corner all by himself. Uh, then we're we're all saying, wow, that was really smart. I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I think it was. I know people will say, take the tie, maybe something good will happen in overtime, but you've got the chance to win it on the road. Uh, your team is dead tired. Um, I I take the chance. Yeah, I agree 100. percent Uh, Bill wanted to let people know that the Utah game on the radio was on a 30 second delay, so basically one play behind. So that's a first. I guess they've been not really delayed before, so that's unfortunate. But just want to let people know. And we got a late text uh question. Um, Clayton from Santa Clarita, what happened to Daniel Metorbebe? I don't think he was targeted all game. Is he not 100? percent uh, he's obviously not 100%. He just came back actually a game earlier than what we thought. But um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't look like he's he not 100%. And this week was sort of going to be a bonus if he did get back because they've certainly been targeting him for the Notre Dame game. So uh, he warmed up, and I think 
you know, obviously not as not as bad as Chuma, but uh, and I I guess they got him out there, but uh, but not really, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't really Daniel Amato baby, and you know the good news is uh, three touchdown passes to the tight end. They played. My thinking is, if you're going to play a tight end, whoever he is, you have to throw the ball to him. You have to act like he's in the game, and he matters. And they did. And lo and behold, they made them, you know, Tyler Petit and uh, Josh Fallow turned into weapons, serious weapons. So, you know, just because Daniel's not there doesn't mean you're having to play without a tight end. Yeah. And then we have one last one, uh, voicemail question. Let me play it for you and we'll get, let you go. Hi, Ryan. This is Daniel from Los Angeles. I left a message before regarding, uh, Clemson playing a Friday night game. They played tonight and they actually lost to Syracuse of all teams. Uh, unranked opponent. So I'm just curious to say, what do you guys think about the, the poll? I know it's still early, but USC one loss was to a ranked 16th ranked, uh, Washington State team. Uh, Oklahoma lost to an unranked Indiana State. I mean, sorry, Iowa State. And Clemson lost to a completely unranked uh, Syracuse team. And uh, the fact that these two teams uh, have lost unranked teams that bad, USC still lost to a completely ranked team, providing that Washington State still wins tonight. Just your take, you guys, on that. Um, you know, what do you think about that? They, Clemson took a Friday night game and it bit them as well, just like USC played a Friday night game and it bit them, but they lost to a better team. Um, yeah, your thoughts, guys. Thanks. Well, you already know more about this than probably half the people voting in the AP poll, and probably way more than that in the head coaches in the coaches' poll, who gosh knows what graduate assistant votes for most of them. But uh, I don't know about Syracuse. Hey, they almost handled uh, Middle Tennessee. You know, they were I'm – being, I'm being sarcastic here. And that maybe is another reason to say – is the Atlantic Coast Conference as dumb as uh, is the Pac-12 by making Clemson play on a Friday night? Holy criminy! I mean, on the road? Wow, that's like that's really Pac-12 dumb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so if the ACC and the Pac-12 eliminate themselves from the national championship hunt early, I think we have kind of a a sense of why. Uh, there's a there's a pretty good reason not to do that. I mean, how do you do that? I didn't realize that that the ACC see they're they're angry. They've got a new deal with ESPN, which uh, they're going to have a, a network. And uh, who knows? Have they had to give some Pac-12-like concessions to ESPN so that ESPN has a game like that on uh, on a Friday night? I don't know, but. Uh, How's that working out for you, ACC? Uh, now, you know, welcome to the Pac-12. So, and, and they were very lucky. If Miami doesn't you know, win that thing at the end, they would be just like the Pac-12 with no unbeaten teams. And everybody's saying, well, where now is uh, SEC and the Big Ten going to get two teams in a piece? And probably not. But uh, how this is all going to play out, it's difficult enough to go week to week. But if your conference is uh, is screwing you and, and messing with your schedule, making life much more difficult for the teams that have a chance, you know, you kind of deserve what, what you end up with uh, in, in the Pac-12 and the ACC. 
when they do things like that to to their their good teams. Yeah. All right. Dan Weber does a great job here at uscfootball.com. Thanks for coming on, Dan, and we'll look forward to seeing you out in practice this week. Yeah, good. Thanks for the good questions, and uh, maybe we'll get some of you guys. But Although I think the poll question, heck with the poll. Nobody thinks those people know what they're doing. Right. And they probably don't. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so uh, I look at those and you say, well, I know more than these people do. So, And, and, and I don't know how much they mean. I mean, really, where does USC belong? I don't know. How would you know? I mean, if you watch Saturday's game, where do you put USC? I don't know. Yeah. You know, are they the team of the first half, team of the second half? Who are they? But it's not just USC. There are a lot of teams like that. So you try to come up with 25 teams. You have no idea. The coaches have no idea which team's going to show up for them. So to try to, you know, vote them, um, people just, they really, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. But, yeah, they pay more attention to USC. So USC gets the hype. USC gets the buildup. If USC has a Washington State game. They get they get the result. They drop 10, 10 spots. Uh, you know, so on the one hand, you kind of like the, the buildup and the preseason stuff, but then the downside of that is they whack you big time if, uh, if you uh, take a big misstep. Uh, so... You know, that's uh, it works both ways. If USC makes a big run here, they'll probably jump up better than maybe somebody else would have if they make a big run. Yeah. All right, Dan. Great stuff. Everyone else, uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back in one minute. We're going to talk uh, talk some game odds, uh, get the spread, all that kind of stuff. And even some T. Martin talk, I believe, with Joe Duffy from Offshore Insiders coming up in just a minute. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. You know, ever since I started the Peristyle Podcast 10 years ago, people have been asking me for betting advice. And mostly, if I think USC will be covering the point spread. Well, let me tell you this. Where you are betting is just as important as which side you are betting on. That's why I always tell people to go to mybookie.ag. MyBookie has been in business for years, and their rep is rock solid. They do 100% cash bonuses, so off the bat... You're making money for doing nothing, and they have the fastest payout. Seriously, just two business days. You know who's going to win, right? Lay down some cash, and you can win big today. I'd only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me, and they definitely have. That's why I'm telling you, make your way over to mybookie.ag because they pay. And they also have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and an all-new mobile site that makes wagering on the go a breeze. So go now to mybookie.ag. They will match your deposit with a 100% bonus if you use the promo code PARASTYLE. So visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, and you get paid. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Uh, bringing in Joe Duffy again. Does a great job. He's the CEO of OffshoreInsiders.com. Here on behalf of MyBookie.ag, you can follow him on Twitter at OffshoreInsider. Another week, Joe, another time that USC does not cover the spread. Yeah, that's true, Ryan. I can just imagine what it's like to be a USC fan. They've certainly made some things interesting, dodging the bullet this year and then of course you know two weeks ago i had oregon state as a very good play and that that got a little interesting so i think even for gamblers but yeah they are six and one straight up yet one and six against the spread 
Yeah, so my my streak of picking them not to cover is gonna con- is continued. Uh, now this week though, it's a little bit different. The di- the reason is because yep. I feel like USC's good. Like Sam Darnold can do things at the end and win a close game at the end. USC's not a favorite this weekend for the first time this year. Yeah, so it will be impossible for USC to win the game and not cover. But they do have, uh, to say the least, a a tough game. Look from the betting standpoint, I told you that USC kind of fit into my straight up and dichotomous record theory where you would a team that keeps winning but not covering you would bet the spread streak but one of the reasons that I've been a professional handicapper since 1988 is I like to use these basic theories behind the scientific method I come up with a theory and then try to disprove it and I did find that teams with an 800 or better straight up winning percentage and on a four game or more spread skid or 40 and 21 against the spread as long as they're not home favorite. So that does say that USC will cover uh, this week. Look, mo- most of the quote unquote experts do believe that USC is the better team, but Notre Dame is, you could certainly argue has played much better this year. Look, the, the Irish, their only loss was to UGA, a team that's number three in the country. It was a one point game and all their wins were routes. They're outscoring teams by a 40 to 16.8 margin, where USC only 34.4 to 23.7 margin. But, you know, this is, uh, conversely, uh, this is one of those where if a line looks counterintuitive to the year-to-date statistics, you, you listen to what the odds makers are telling you. Remember, home field advantage is worth about three points, and Notre Dame is only a three-and-a-half-point favorite, even though they've played better this year. According to, you know, the, as I said, the uh, margin of victory statistics and how USC, they continue to, to barely win. We know they won in triple overtime to Texas. Well, I think it was a triple. Was that double overtime? Double, that was double triple overtime, overtime correct? Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. So that was a crazy game. Uh, they barely beat Utah. So they could easily have a couple more losses and even against California until they pulled away at the end, they, they made it interesting where, as I said, the Irish have won every game comfortably with the one exception to a team that's a serious national championship contender. So looking purely at the numbers, you would say that Notre Dame maybe should be a five or six point favorite when you take into account home field advantage, but they're not. And that's one of those where you kind of use the odds makers knowledge uh, against them. USC is probably a little bit better than they've shown this year. And I do think that USC might be the play. Yeah. I'm kind of like, I don't like to pick USC to cover, but this one, that's not the favorite. I'm kind of leaning that way. So we'll, uh, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep thinking about it, but that's the way I'm kind of leaning right now. Um, for Sam Darnold, he kind of came back. This was the first game he didn't throw an interception. So, you know, I guess progress. Um, yeah. you know, threw three touchdowns to tight ends, which, uh, that kind of made some USC fans happy as he kind of crawled back into the Heisman race a little bit. He, he is. It certainly helped that, uh, he's got six touchdowns and only one interception the last two games. Look, it hurts that. He's not going to have the opportunity to, you know, for example, beat an undefeated team in the Pac-12 championship game and make a big late statement. But to say the least, this is a big week for him against Notre Dame. If he can explode against Notre Dame and he has, you know, seemingly played his best against the best. He played well against Stanford, played well against Utah. He's now at uh, plus 4,000, which certainly makes him a long shot that is based on $100 per bet, but he's at least sneaking up there where he is, let's see, two, four, six, seven. He is uh, tied for, I think, seventh in the odds. And look, uh, Bryce Love is uh, sneaking up there. In fact, Bryce Love is now the co-favorite. This is very rare, you know, in the modern era. 
just in the last few years, of course, where teams have become much more passing-oriented, but the co-favorites are running back Bryce Love and Sakon Barkley. And look, you might even be seeing a dark horse this weekend, Notre Dame running back Josh Adams. He's actually averaging nine yards per carry. He's got 776 yards. So, you know, you might be uh, going up against a guy who could really sneak into the race himself. But, yeah, this is a big week, to say the least, for Sam Darnold if he, you know, has four touchdowns and no interceptions and leads him to victory. He's going to climb right back up there in the heart of the race. Yeah, I think like when Carson Palmer won it, it was like the Notre Dame game at the end of the year was a big part of it when they were both top 10 teams. It's the first time both teams are ranked, I think, since 2009. Um, and the first time, now we, Dan Weber talked about this at the beginning of our show. I don't know if you knew this, Joe. The first time USC is going to go to South Bend since 2011 with a regular coach, not an interim coach. So they had, wow. They had, yeah, so they usually go to South Bend with an interim coach and it doesn't work out that well, so... Uh, we'll kind of see. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is, that is true that, uh, you've had more than your share of, uh, interim co- coaches and, in, in, including one that you got from, from Tennessee. And I think we may, before the podcast is out, talk about a USC coach going to, uh, Tennessee. But yeah, that's a, a very interesting statistic. And now that I think about it, that is, that's definitely true. And, you know, the, I think they do generally play, at least in the past, they used to play later in the year, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's when, Right. So that's when coaches are usually let go if they're going to be let go uh, late in the year. So. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So USC's done this midseason. USC plays at Notre Dame like in October. Then the when they play in L.A., they play at the end of the season. So that's like when Carson Palmer beat Notre Dame it was at home. So it was like the end of the season gave him a bump. But they've you know, USC's fired coaches midseason a couple of times and then they end up going to Notre Dame uh, with an interim and uh, hasn't worked out. But you mentioned. So my wife is a big Tennessee grad, uh, Tennessee fan, went to UT, uh, not happy with Butch Jones. There's odds, uh, apparently on mybookie.ag, they got odds about who's going to be the next Tennessee head coach, and one of the USC staffers is on that list. Yes, uh, mybookie.ag, our, our favorite uh, sports book, they have posted odds on who the next Tennessee coach is going to be. T. Martin, I really thought he was going to be a little bit higher. He is plus 750, and again, that is a little bit more than seven to one. It's based on a hundred dollars per bet. But T. Martin is the leading candidate among those who don't have uh, any head coaching experience. Of course, T. Martin, of course, as a quarterback, brought the national championship to Tennessee. So, in some respects, he might be a little bit of a sentimental favorite. Uh, you know, I guess really much like Sam Darnold. I think if their offense, if USC's offense can really pick it up this week, he might climb a little bit more. Uh, Chip Kelly, to me, is a surprising favorite, a guy who's uh, coached out there on the West Coast. But T. Martin is uh, plus 750, and I think his name could definitely climb if USC runs the table and if their offense really winds up living to the uh, preseason hype. All right. Joe Duffy does a great job over at OffshoreInsiders.com. Make sure you check him out. You can follow him on Twitter at Offshore Insider. Thanks, Joe, for coming on and uh, sharing some insights. Should be interesting, USC being a dog for the first time. Yeah, that is for sure, Ryan. And in fact, at uh, mybookie.ag, they are three-and-a-half-point underdog, and we will talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. That's Joe Duffy. Thanks again. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. 
We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 